I, I like the fact that when you when you talk politics or you talk sports, everyone has an opinion. There, there's probably five things in the world: religion, sports, politics, the economy, and who should win Best Picture at the Oscars that most people have an opinion about. EXP DET, a lifestyle magazine and podcast bringing you the best of what Detroit has to offer. I'm your host, Lou Goldhaber, and on today's episode, we're recording live from the Rocket Fiber Studio at the Henry Ford Detroit Pistons Performance Center right here in downtown Detroit. And we're talking with none other than Awanate Kabina, Vice President, Public and Business Affairs at the Palace Sports and Entertainment Group, and also the Executive Director of the Detroit Pistons Foundation. Wow, that's a mouthful. What an incredible title. Thank you. you Thank you for having me, Lou. Of course, of course. So first off, thank you for taking the time to do this. I know it takes time out of your day to come here and spend time with us, but we really appreciate it. I can't wait to tell everybody your story. Anytime I can spend time with you is a good day. Oh, man, true to my heart. See, that he's already giving me compliments first first minute into the podcast. So I want to start with your background because it's absolutely an incredible journey about how you got to Detroit. So you have done you know, you and I are basically the same age. So I'm not going to say what you've done compared to what I've done because it will make me feel very small and insignificant. But I want to talk about your journey. So you've worked in the NFL. You worked in the Obama White House. How the heck did you get to Detroit? Just tell us about the journey. Got, got a lot of luck. So uh, I was born in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, my, my family, both my parents are from Ghana. Uh, and so I was a first generation American, which is great. Uh, ended up moving to Washington, D.C. and growing up there, middle school, high school, and then college in Atlanta, Georgia. So like many people, when I, when I entered college, I tried to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, the NFL and the White House and the Detroit Pistons were not on the list. The list was political science or sociology or economics. And I, I used process elimination and got to political science. So I, I'd always enjoyed politics and sports, and I didn't really know how I was going to use those. So after college, I went to a law firm for a couple years, realized that while I still wanted to go to law school, I would probably never work at a law firm. And I entered law school. And someone one day asked me, what do you, what do you want to do when you get out of here? And I, I really had no idea. So that was the what do you want to be when you grow up conversation. Exactly. And, and I had to have it with myself because I do, was just following a path that I think a lot of people follow. Uh, and I, I knew the result at the end, and I didn't, didn't really want that for myself. So I, I thought back to my conversations with myself. <laughs> uh, Self-reflection. When, exactly. I love a good conversation with myself. I, I, I try to so, have them daily. Yeah. And I uh, thought back to my time at college, and I said, I like politics and sports. People do these jobs. I should try to find a job in one of these. So I went to, I went to the Internet, looked up jobs, and there was a, the NFL had an internship program uh, for mainly undergrads, but they had two law school spots. So I applied and didn't know anyone at the NFL when I applied. So were you a football fan at this time? I was a football fan. So who's your team? Uh, Skins. I'm from D.C. Oh, geez. Okay. Time out. Stop the podcast. (laughs) No, I'm a Pittsburgh guy, so obviously I'm a Steeler fan, but I will not hold that against you because we're in different divisions, but keep going. So you'll remember growing up, the the Skins used to uh, training camp in uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Yes, So I grew up up watching uh, the Steelers and the Skins doing – uh, their, their scrimmages. For so you're slowly redeeming yourself, which is great. So keep, keep going. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought, what do I want to do? So I realized I like politics and sports. I thought back to that conversation and I ended up applying for the NFL internship and everyone told me I had no chance. They said, you don't know anyone. Um, you, you've never worked in sports before. So I, I, I thought these people are right. So I, I spent every day, every person I met, I said, do you know someone that works at the NFL? 
And one day, this, this friend of mine, uh, Tony Maniello, if you're listening, Tony, give me a call. Shout out to Tony. Shout out to Tony. He said, my professor used to work at the NFL, George Washington University. I'm taking a sports law class. If you come to a Washington Wizards game, I will make sure that you and him are in a suite alone for two hours. That I sounds said, like a pretty good gig. I said, great. I got to the game, go up to the suite. This guy walks into a suite. It's just me. He's like, what's going on here? Uh, Tony's like, I want you to meet my friend. You know, here's, here's a couple beers. And me and this guy hit it off for hours throughout the whole game, went out and got a drink after the game. He said, hey, you know, I just finished working in the NFL. I still have a lot of friends there. I was there for 10 years. Here, here's my phone number and email address. Give me a call, and I'll put a good word in for you. Next day, I sent the obligatory thank you note, no response. A month later, I responded again, no response. I'm on the train from D.C. to New York for the interview, and I, I just took a shot, and I sent him one more email saying, hey, like, I have my interview in three hours. And he calls, and he says, who are you meeting with? I tell him who, who I'm meeting with. He gives me the lowdown on her, gives me the lowdown on the department. Uh, after my interview, I called him and told him it went well. He called in to put a good word in. And I don't know if that was helpful, but I assume that it was because I got the internship. The rest is history. The rest is history. Spent my first summer at the National Football League and uh, the Business Affairs Department uh, negotiating, helping them negotiate contracts. I went back for a second summer and did more player-focused stuff, so drug policy, conduct policy, domestic violence suspensions. And then I went back to D.C. for my third year of law school and sat down and said, I did all this sports and more than I could have ever dreamed of, and I didn't do any politics. So let's talk about that, because you and I have a, we, we joked about this the other night when we went, you know, hung out. You and I have both have very nonlinear career paths. So I want to talk about just the journey. So you go from sports to working in the Obama White House to back to sports, or was there anything in between before you came? Did you come here right from yeah, the Obama came White right House? Yeah, right straight, from White straight House. From the, so... What about Detroit attracted you? Like, why did you want to come here? The thing about Detroit is that there's this energy that you can't really describe. I, I grew up in Washington, D.C., which is a very, very much a transient city. Spent a lot of time in New York, another transient city. But in Detroit, when you step off the, when you step off the queue line, the first thing you see is, you know, Detroit blows or Detroit is new black. There's so much pride here. And then when you talk to the people, you feel that pride as well. And I wasn't used to that. And frankly, that's something that I, I really like about Detroit. Okay. So now you're back in sports. Like, What are the differences or, or challenges between politics and sports? I mean, they're kind of like both like, you know, similar, but not. So like, what, what do you like about each of them as you kind of your role now? You're doing a little bit of both. I, I like the fact that when you when you talk politics or you talk sports, everyone has an opinion. There, there's probably five things in the world, religion, sports, politics, the economy, and who should win best picture at the Oscars that most people have an opinion about. So the fact that it's high profile also allows you to have the opportunity to affect a lot of people. When we moved from the palace at Auburn Hills to Little Caesars Arena, more people asked me that, stopped me and asked me that on the street than ever asked me about the Affordable Care Act or any, any of the legislation that sure. we worked on in the White House. So having that's what, that- But that's what's impactful to them on their day-to-day basis, right? Exactly. And a lot of the things that we did in the White House, and the White House was great. I enjoyed working with some of the smartest people in the world and for Barack Obama. Uh, but on a day-to-day basis, people don't necessarily realize all the things that you're doing that benefit them. When you move the Pistons from Auburn Hills to Detroit, Michigan, people realize it because they see the games every day. Right. It's all relative, right? I mean, the, the universe of the country is so large and 
policies and legislation that's happening on a day-to-day basis, you might not reap the impact of that for decades sometimes. Exactly. Right? Moving the pistons from Auburn Hills downtown is felt in real time. They feel it every day. Every day. Every day. So that's a great segue because you've worked on some really impactful things. One of which you just mentioned was bringing the team downtown, right? Big deal. Not everyone might be listening, might be like, yeah, what's the big deal? They move buildings. It was so much more than that to the people of the city. Talk to me about that project. And then we're going to talk about where we're sitting, which is another project you worked on, which is incredible. But tell me about what it was like to move a team. Yeah. So it, it's, it's something that happens very rarely, right? The Pistons moved from Detroit to Auburn Hills in 1978. In, in Washington, D.C., where I'm from, the, the Capitals and, and Wizards moved from Maryland to D.C. in 2000. But this, this happens once every 30 years at a maximum, right? Most times it never happens. The, the Cubs and the Red Sox have been in their stadiums for a century. So there's no blueprint for doing that. And one of the things you have to do is figure out, what would I do if I'm moving my house, right? You want to make sure that the new house is everything that you need. You want to make sure that you have the mortgage or your financing set up. And all of those things are steps we had to take. We had to talk to Mayor Duggan and his administration. Uh, the arena was already being, uh, had been designed and constructed as a hockey arena. So we had to talk to the Illich family and Olympia Development. It, it was a massive undertaking. Didn't all the doors have to be <laughs> increased in size? It's funny. That's the one anecdote that everybody, that right? everybody like, realized. Tall basketball players. You exactly. Need big doors. When, you're, when you're building a hockey arena, you don't necessarily need to have tall doors. But I sat down with a couple of my colleagues, Richard Dad and, and Josh Bartlestein, and we had to sit down with Olympia's team and the architects and general contractor and go through every space that needed to be changed for, for basketball players. And one thing, you know, the basketball arena, I'm sorry, the basketball locker room was one of them. And that's when you realize the basketball players need a place to change and get ready for the game. There were storage concerns. There were the NBA has different uh, uh, restroom numbers than than NHL has. We have more urinals and and uh, to to person than than the NHL does, which is why that's uh, a little known tidbit that little you can tidbit. only find out on the EXP podcast. Exactly, more urinals for basketball than hockey. Exactly. Okay, but then we're. we're tracing the path that the players walk, our basketball players walk from the garage where they park, the loading dock actually, to their locker room. And we notice that the door heights are at eight feet. You know, we have players that are seven foot three, seven foot four, yeah, six eleven. They're ducking because the door heights are so low. So we had to trace the path that they could, every path that they could possibly walk and raise those door heights to nine or 10 feet. So that's so basically the basketball players don't go where the hockey guys go. Exactly, exactly. Or the hockey guys yeah. are like, these hallways are great. Yeah, these you are know, huge, these doors. Have, did you know that most elevators are built at uh, seven and a half feet? I did know that because so, I work in the real estate business. There you go. Yeah. So now we had to find a custom 10 foot elevator because the door heights were 10 feet. You couldn't Crazy. get Your passenger elevator. elevators became freight elevators. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So things like that, that I, we never knew about construction, that I never knew about construction, real estate development, uh, designing a, a facility like that all came into play. So let's talk about the emotional component, right? So obviously moving the team, the logistics is endless, but just the emotional toll that it took on the people. Probably obviously some of the suburbanites were like, oh, that's a big commitment now to go downtown. And vice versa, the people downtown are going, this is all part of this rebirth of the city, right? We're bringing one of our 
biggest assets back into the city. And now we have all four major sports teams within a mile of each other, which I think we're the only city in America that has all four major sports teams within a mile of each other. That's correct. I don't know if that's true. Is that true? That's 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 generally, generally true. Generally true? Yeah. I mean, they're downtown, but there's more spread out. Exactly. So we're the only sports team with all four major sports leagues within a mile of each other in the central business area. Yeah, which is incredible if you really think about it in today's age. Exactly. So, I mean, what did that feel like? Did you hear from people downtown like, oh my God, it's been you know, 50 years since the Pistons have been downtown and what it meant to them? I, I heard that every day. And one of the most impactful conversations I had was I, I lived in a building in Midtown and I was talking to uh, the, the garage attendant, the parking garage attendant, and he every day wore a Pistons hat. And he found out from the building manager that I worked for the Pistons before the first preseason game at Little Caesars Arena. And he said to me, uh, I'm, I'm a big Pistons fan. And I said, I, I gathered that from the hat. He said, I've never been to a Pistons game. This guy is like 35 years old, moved, was born after the Pistons had moved to Auburn Hills and had never been to a game and wore that hat religiously every day. So I gave him a couple Pistons tickets, which probably didn't seem like a lot to me because, you know, I get a couple tickets to most games, but it meant a lot to him because he was able to have that first experience because the arena was a mile from where he was working. Yeah. And think about all the families moving forward too, that now have new memories. Exactly. Right. Just new, new way to experience the team in a new kind of rebirth city. And, and we, and we want to have, we want to be part of that. That's part of the reason we moved to Detroit. Yes, the, the arena was being built and it was new, but we want to be part of the energy that's happening in Detroit, part of the young people, both people, transplants that are moving here and people that went to college or uh, school or worked other places and are coming back. You know, that's why we're so involved in the community and hopefully the, the people uh, will embrace us as the hometown team. So do you think the players are more vested in the city now too than they were when they were out in Auburn Hills? Absolutely. You think that uh, they're like, we're a city team versus, you know, suburb? I, I think so. I, you know, when, when players come to Detroit, the one thing that they say is they all know about the bad boys. They all know about the 04 going to work team. So they, they expect that grit. And some of that, a lot of those championships, all of them actually, happen at the Palace of Auburn Hills. When they come to Detroit and get to feel the people and feel the grit and see see the streets and see the buildings, the you know iconic Fisher Building, the Renaissance Center, things that you see on the the sky the uh, the sky skyline, they they really start to feel it a little more and they get excited about playing here. So even though it's you know it's a shiny new product, it's a shiny new building. Underneath that is still the same grit that was out there, you know, in the 80s and 90s when. Those bad boy teams are winning. And anyone that's been to a game at Little Caesars Arena knows that it's the same as it always was. That's awesome. So let's talk about this facility that we're in. So we're in this incredible state-of-the-art training facility, which I think is probably one of its kind in the NBA. It is. Being downtown. Like, I wish everybody could see where we're sitting because this is incredibly, incredibly well done and thought out. And I'm just curious, you know, besides just bringing the team downtown, you put a major footprint down here as well. So talk to me about why you guys did that. It was important for us to not just play our games downtown, but to actually be at home in, in downtown Detroit. We wanted to be separate from the arena a little bit just because I think there's a, there's a perception of Detroit as, uh, as really only um, being redeveloped downtown. And when we came here, we wanted to make sure that we were in, in an area that uh, hadn't previously been occupied. This was a, a parking lot before, one of Henry Ford Health System's auxiliary parking lots. We wanted to make sure that we were close to the community. So, you know, we're, we're on Grand Bull, we're close to Grand Boulevard, uh, so we're a little further up Woodward. But we also wanted a space that was our own. As a tenant at Little Caesars Arena, we spend 41 nights a year there, but we're at our, the Henry Ford Detroit Pistons Performance Center 365 days a year. So this is really our home. 
And just to point out for those who are listening, you and I had a game of pig out there on that court. We did. You guys can't see, but I, just for the record, won that. I'm not sure that we completed the game, actually. Well, I'm pretty sure between all the shots that I made and you missed, that would make me kind of the winner. But, I, I, but it's your home court. I don't want to call you out on the air, but <laughs> just want, want to put that out there. Those are all practice shots. All practice shots. <laughs> uh, so besides the basketball, which is obviously the heart of what you do, your role in just kind of in the community and what you guys are doing for the neighborhoods is also equally, if not more important than the basketball. So some of your initiatives, this whole basketball for all thing, I just want you to tell the listeners what it's all about because I think the mission is really, really important. Yeah, and it really all starts with this building. So when we came here and we wanted to make sure that this was one of the only public-facing practice facilities in all of sports, we, we think we accomplished that. We have a plum market on the first floor. We have a fitness center going in over the summer on the first floor. So people can interact with the building. The next is how do we interact with the people? Not everyone's gonna be able to come here. One of the things that we committed to doing when we moved downtown was to renovate 60 parks and rec basketball courts across the city. So everyone in every neighborhood will be relatively close to a renovated basketball court by 2023. We've already finished 20 of those and we have another 10 coming online this summer. The second portion of that, once you create a place to play, is you, you wanna give people the tools to play with. So we committed to giving out 125,000 basketballs uh, to school-age kids over the next five years. Where do you put 125,000 basketballs? We give them out 10,000 at a time. Oh my God. <laughs> I just can't even imagine what 10,000 basketballs would look like. 10,000 basketballs is a lot. We actually have a ball distribution event on Wednesday if you're free. You can go to Beacon Park and see what 5,000 basketballs looks like. I mean, does it come out in like an 18-wheeler filled with basketballs? That's right. Oh my goodness. That's right. It comes out uh, not inflated. We, inf we have an inflation event because you... 10,000 inflated basketballs <laughs> takes up much more space yeah. than 10,000 That's like a scientific inflated. thing, like, right? When inflated, it's larger than not inflated. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We're, we're, uh, this is also a science show, by the way, yeah. guys. Um, so, yeah, so we we uh, given out 10,000 last year. We're going on place to give out 15,000 this season. So that'll be 25,000, and we'll continue that over the next uh, four years. And then you give people a place to play. You give them the tool to play with. Then you want to encourage them to use it. So last year we had a pilot program. We chose two parks. Uh, Dolores Bennett Park in North End, Rouge North Park on the west side of Detroit, and we had one hour programming one day a week for six weeks. And you should have seen the response. Neighbors, we talked to block clubs, community groups, local community development corporations. They helped us advertise, brought people out, and each one of those was like their own event. And they weren't all basketball events. We had basketball, we had adult yoga for some of the seniors in the community, and we had free play for kids. So everyone, whether they were good at basketball or not, got to do something. This year, we're looking to extend that program and really broaden it. So there'll be more details coming on that, on that soon, but it's going to be a much bigger program this year. So for the legacy of the team and kind of what it's doing, I assume you're equally as proud of that as however many wins the team puts up in a given year. One of the things about working in politics is that you, you end up caring what you're doing and who you're doing it for. And I can honestly say that Tom Gore's, in, his phrase being impactful, and Arn Tellum, my boss, uh, urging us to be as involved in the community as possible, really struck a chord with me from the beginning. So you knew you were in the right place. It felt good being here. That's great. That's great. So let's talk about you, right? You and I had a chance to hang out a little bit over the last couple of months. I've gotten to know you a little bit. And I can truly say that you're like an ambassador of Midtown. Okay, so you and I got together a couple nights ago and I joked that by the time you got into the restaurant, it took you 10 minutes just to get to me because of all the people who said hello or knew you. How did you connect with the people of Detroit so quickly? I told them I knew you. Yeah, that, that would have gotten you thrown out of the bar. <laughs> not, not necessarily make it to me, to me, but 
just out of curiosity, I mean, you seem to just have a natural charisma and connection to people. So like, how did you connect with the Detroit people? It's funny. When I moved here, I interviewed twice. And I, so I met five people at the Pistons, but of course they were in the suburbs. They were in Auburn Hills. So I moved here and I knew, I knew really two people. And so I, I had to figure out how do I make a network here after leaving a place that I grew up after, you know, 15 years or 10 years after college. And so I really just sought out uh, friends of friends. I called all my friends back in DC and New York and I said, you like me? They said, I went out and said, we love you. <laughs> I said, great, give me one person. You know one person that lives in Detroit. Phone a friend. Phone a friend. You know one person lives in Detroit. You know one person that went to the University of Michigan. One person that went to Michigan State. One person who's been to Detroit before <laughs> more than I have. Um, so give me, give me that person's number. Connect me on email. And I just started doing drink and dinner dates uh, for the entirety of my time here. So you're not shy. I'm, I'm, I, I, like, I like meeting people and getting to know them. Was there something about like the people or the way that you know the city conducts itself that you were like, that's me? It, go, it goes back to the pride. Like they enjoy where they're from and the people that are here and people that have come back or people that stayed here, they really love being here. Yeah. They have such good memories of growing up, such good memories of the childhood and are enjoying Detroit now. So that was one thing that really, really resonated with me. So I always said that there's very few cities that have a soul, right? There's tons of cities, but there's very few that you're, no matter where you, the people go, you could take them out of the cities that they're from, but it's always part of who they are. Like my hometown, Pittsburgh, I feel is very much like that. Exactly. Very similar to Detroit. You leave Pittsburgh, it's always with you. Kind of like the Detroiters are so proud of where they're from. Exactly. And I think I will admit that I got my Detroit tattoo a little premature. It was day three, but I think I've earned it. You got a Detroit tattoo? I'm just kidding. Oh, Totally had me going. For the record, I was totally sold. I was going to ask for location. but So being the ambassador and being that you're out a lot, we're going to get to like, I want to know all the, the dirt, right? All the hot spots. Where are the players hanging out? Where are you hanging out? What are the spots that our listeners, if they're, if they're listening at home, they're going to go, I need to go there because Awanate is hanging out there. You know, we, we built this facility and our, our, uh, our hope was that it would be a place that the players really wanted to spend a lot of time. And, and they have been. The players come here. They have, they have food service 24 hours a day. Security's here all the time, so they can come so in whenever they want. they're not eating want. out? They're not going to restaurants? They're, you know, they, they try to spend as much time here as possible. All right, well, forget the players then. What about Awanate? I know you're out because you meet me out. So what are your <laughs> favorite spots? You know, it, I, I usually try to start with a, a good drink like we had the other night at Grey Ghost or, or Standby, uh, Empire. There are a lot of places around town that I've become friendly with the bartenders because I'm, I'm meeting people there. Uh, I also like a good meal. So Lady of the House or Carl's, uh, Evening Bar, I, I spend a lot of time uh, eating and, and drinking with friends. So I also know that you take a lot of meetings, right? You're like me. Uh, you take a lot of meetings. I'm sure you're highly caffeinated throughout the day or you're a non-coffee drinker. I'll drink coffee intermittently once or twice a month. Okay, I was going to say, would you have a favorite coffee spot that you go to? I do. If, if it's in the morning, I'll go to the click. If not, I do a lot of meetings at Roasting Plant or Central okay. at the end of the day. Good, all good spots, all good spots. So as the city like rebounds, right, and the city is becoming what it's becoming, is there one part of the story that just really speaks to you? Are there neighborhoods that just have a special place in your heart? Like what, what part of the story every day you wake up and you're like, that's what I'm really into? I'm very future-focused, so I would say that New Center and this Grand Boulevard area, because it has a lot of room to grow, and I think it's growing quickly, and we're hope it, hopefully catalyzing that, it's, it'll be my favorite neighborhood okay. for a while. I've gotten a lot of random different ones. I've had the riverfront has been passion for people, so I'm always curious as to, you know, where's people's hearts at? Like, what, what, what really speaks Yeah, to and I, I love water, too, so the riverfront's definitely one. Uh, it's great to see the growth, growth in downtown. 
Uh, I also like the, the Palmer Park area just because it's very peaceful. But um, we're invested in New Center, and, and I am as well. Okay, your flag's here. Flag's here. Amen. Okay, this is my favorite part of every podcast. This is the lightning round. Oh. So these are just stream of consciousness, whatever comes to your mind, no wrong answer. Just want to get in your brain. I'm going to fire away. Let's go. You ready? All right, question one. Do you even play basketball? Not anymore. Did you at one point? Yeah. I played in high school and I played uh, a year at Emory University. In okay. Atlanta, so you're like authentic. Got a varsity letter. Amen. Okay. More likely to be in the NBA or in political office? Political office. Okay. Any particular office? No, because I'd never run. But I know I'm not going to be in the NBA either. <laughs> one funny thing you can tell us legally about the president. So for a left-hander, he's, he's a very streaky shooter, but he talks a lot of trash. And as as you have and I have, we've heard a lot, his voice a lot. So to, to hear that voice on a basketball court talking trash is, uh, is memorable. Because you're not expecting to hear the President of the United States talking trash? If, if I could do a good impression of him talking, I would do him talking trash, but I, I can't do either. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite basketball player? Blake Griffin. Okay. Historically? Historically? I grew up a big Chris Webber fan. It's funny. One nice. of the th- Michigan grad. So one of the things that was interesting growing up, um, Georgetown was in the in the Big East. Maryland was in the ACC at that point. So a lot of times on television, when the Big Ten would come on, I'd watch Michigan football and basketball, and I became completely enamored with with the Fab Five. I got my team to wear black socks and black shoes. I got the baggy shorts, and so I've been following Michigan basketball for a long time. It was meant to be. It was meant to be. All right, more likely to catch you in a suit or in casual gear. Depends on who you ask, but I'll say suit. Okay. Best advice for young adults with non-linear career paths? Keep dreaming. Okay. Anything want to expand on that? Yeah, I think if you have a non-linear path, you don't have anyone to follow. So you have to keep reinventing what you want as you achieve, because otherwise you'll, you'll get stagnant and stale. And last, certainly not least, what was your most memorable moment since you've been here in Detroit? The most memorable moment was actually the first game of Little Caesars Arena. It, it was the culmination professionally of so much hard work. I had so many friends in the audience and, and people that I'd met over the years that came to that first game, and the crowd was electric. That was definitely my most memorable moment. That was your highlight? Yeah. Well, I can tell you just from myself as a fan of the Pistons and everything you guys are doing and working closely with you, it's a true pleasure and honor to have you sit down with me. I think the city owes you a great debt of uh, gratitude for bringing the team downtown and everything you're doing in the communities. Thank you for taking the time. and. Love that we get to tell the world your story. Thanks, Lou. For more information on Awanate himself, check him out on Instagram at Awanate, A-W-E-N-A-T-E. He's got great photographs. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the EXPDET podcast. Please make sure to write us a review and provide us with some comments and feedback. If you want to see what other amazing Detroit changemakers are doing, check us out at expdet.com, or you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook.